be reading John 20, verses 19 to 22. You can follow along on screen as I read the passage aloud for us. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. Good morning. It's an absolute joy to be here um, for the Encounter God Conference. We had a beautiful time last night. Loved this morning's 9 a.m. service. I'm excited about this service, excited about this afternoon. Before I launch in, I want to address a concern that I've heard a couple of rumblings of this. And the concern is, is it appropriate to preach the Word of God whilst wearing Crocs? I, I know some of you have been thinking that. I've, I've heard the whispers. So I, I want to address it by saying these aren't Crocs, right? They are consecrated Crocs. Very different. I'm a priest in the Church of England, a priest in the Worldwide Anglican Communion. So when I purchased these, I got some holy water. I sprinkled these Crocs. I signed them with the sign of the cross. They are set apart for the glory of God, right? I wanted to address that. I know that was stressing some of you out. Um, let me start with a story. A while ago, a friend of mine who helps pastor a church just outside London, a place called Watford, rang me up to tell me this story. A lady in the church approached her one Sunday morning. This lady was called Rihanna. And, and Rihanna said, look, I had a crazy dream last night, like vivid detail, and I don't know what to do with the dream. I need your advice. So my friend said, well, just tell me the dream. She said, in the dream... God spoke to me and he gave me some instructions. He told me, I want you to go into the town centre, the city centre. I want you to go to the Christian bookshop. I want you to purchase a Bible, right? And then in the front page of the Bible, I want you to write the name James B. I then want you to wrap the Bible up as a present. I want you to put it in your bag. And at the right time, I'm going to ask you to give it to someone. What do I do with a dream like that? So my friend had a little thing. She said, I think you've got two options. Option number one is you do nothing. You dismiss the dream. You put it down to the cheese that you had last night. You know, maybe one too many glasses of wine. There's limits for a reason. Um, you just put it down to the, the cheese and the wine. That's option number one. Option number two is you do everything um, that came to you in that dream. And my encouragement is you should go for option two. Like, what's the worst that can happen? You're carrying a Bible in your bag for a very long period of time. So she decided she'd do it. She went to the Christian bookshop. She bought a Bible. She opened up the Bible. She wrote James B. She wrapped it up as a present. She put it in her bag. And a few weeks went by. Now, this lady, Rihanna, had cancer in her back. The cancer was deteriorating. 
and she was going to an appointment with her doctor, Dr. Patel, to see a consultant to see um, whether the cancer had deteriorated further. So it was a day of grueling tests. Um, and at the end of the day, the consultant, Dr. Bradshaw, met with Rihanna and her doctor, Dr. Patel, to basically report back on the tests. And Dr. Bradshaw basically says, Rihanna, I've done the tests and the results made zero sense to me. So I've redone all the tests and I don't even know how to say this to you, but there is no trace of cancer in your body, right? So there was more excitement in that room than there is in this room. Like she was like, yes, yes, right? Um, and she says, I can explain it to you. I'm part of this church in Watford. We've been praying for supernatural healings. I believe God has healed me of this cancer. At that point, Dr. Patel chips in and says, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. And in our church, we've been praying for supernatural healings and we've had some stories like this. At that point, Dr. Bradshaw chips in and says, I'm absolutely not a Christian, right? Um, but something crazy happened to me about a month ago. Um, something similar took place, cancer gone, and they said it was basically God that healed them. I drove home confused that night, and I said, God, I don't believe you, but if you are real and if you're out there, you do it again and you've got my attention. Like, reveal yourself to me. At that point, Rihanna has a brainwave, and she says, Dr. Bradshaw, can I ask, what's your full name? And he says, my name is James Bradshaw. And she says... I've got a crazy story for you. Um, she reaches into her bag. She tells the story of the dream. She passes it to Dr. Bradshaw. He opens up the, the present. He opens up the Bible, James B. That is a crazy story, right? That is a story of supernatural healing, the power of the prophetic, the power of God to reveal himself to someone who doesn't know him. Now, I wish that story ended with Dr. Bradshaw on his knees confessing Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. That isn't how the story ends. And I don't fully know how the story ends. But what a beautiful, beautiful story, right? Now, if you were to take that story and place it in the gospel narratives, it would fit in like the signs and wonders of Jesus, that would fit in the context of the gospel narratives. If you were to place that story in the book of Acts, the stories of the early church, it would fit in. But if you were to put that story in this context and the context of the church in central London, you would say that story is extraordinary, extraordinary, out of the ordinary, right? But who gets to define what normal is in the kingdom of God? Like, I don't want my normal set by my experience or lack of experience. I want my normal for life in the kingdom to be set by the teachings of Jesus and the teaching of the New Testament. Like, I don't want my theology shaped by my experience or lack of experience. I want my theology shaped by the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the New Testament. So what is normal when it comes to life in the kingdom of God, when the spirit of God is at work. I wanna name three things and we're gonna unpack these three things this morning. When the spirit is at work, these three things take place. Number one, the spirit awakens us to the person of Christ, wakes us up to the person of Christ and introduces us to the life of the spirit. Secondly, the spirit forms us into the likeness of Jesus we begin to display the character of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit. Thirdly, he empowers us to participate in the ministry of Christ and he gives us the gifts of the Spirit. 
and we're going to unpack these one by one. Firstly then, he awakens us to the person of Christ, draws us into the abundant life of the Spirit. Now, when we read the creed, I'm guessing most of you wake up each morning and start the day with a Nicene Creed. That's a gag, none of you do that. Um, But when we say the creed together in church, the Nicene Creed, the the verse, the stanza about life in the Spirit says this. Hopefully it's going to appear on the screen. And maybe we can say these words together. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Let's just zoom in on that one phrase. He's the Lord. He's the giver of life. That phrase, giver of life, is a summary of the teaching of the New Testament. Here's some examples. John chapter 6, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Romans 8, the Spirit who gives life. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives, always the same. Galatians 6, whoever sows to to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This is the constant message of the New Testament writers that the Spirit gives life, right? So let's go back to the creation story, how things began. This is the Genesis 2 account of the story. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the word breath there, Hebrew word, ruach. You need a bit of phlegm in the back of your throat to fully pronounce it. Ruach, translated breath or spirit. He breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life. And the man became a living being. Let's move forward in the story to the decreation narrative. This is created order unraveling because of sin. Now, the constant critique of the prophets in the Old Testament is, is you've turned away from Yahweh God and you're worshipping these idols, these statues of wood and stone. You're bowing down to the idols. And as you bow down to the idols, you're spiritually dying. You're expiring. You're losing the breath that God breathed into you. Listen to these words of the psalmist who echoes the critique of the prophets. The psalmist says this, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths because someone carved in a little mouth. They can't speak to you. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but when you call out in a moment of desperation, help me, they can't hear. And here's the key line, nor is their breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. Now, the prophet Ezekiel begins to prophesy in a moment when the nation of Israel are in exile. In other words, they're spiritually dying. They are suffocating. They've bowed the knee to the idols. They've lost the breath of God. And Ezekiel has a vision of a valley of dry bones. It's a picture of the state of the nation of Israel. And God says to him, prophesy to these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make ruach enter you and you will come to life. 
So Ezekiel basically followed these commands. So I prophesied as he commanded me and ruach, breath, the spirit entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. This is a prophecy long before the time of Jesus, pointing to a moment where the spirit would be poured out and this valley of dry bones will come to life alive in the spirit. So fast forward to the time of Jesus. The nation of Israel are in a state of semi-exile. They're back in Jerusalem. They've returned from Babylon, but they're not free to be the people God created them to be. The Roman regime is trying to crush them underfoot. Their temple systems become fully corrupt. They're like a valley of dry bones and they're crying out to God. You prophesied, you promised that you would breathe on us just like you did at the beginning when you breathed into Adam and Eve. Lord, do it again. Breathe into us, restore life to us. Now with that in mind, because Ezekiel 37 was a prophecy that shaped the imagination and the longing of the people. With that in mind, listen to these words that were read earlier. John chapter 20. This is a post-resurrection account. Jesus just appears amongst them. They're in a locked room. So Jesus appears amongst them. They're fully freaked out. Like, what? How did you get here? He says, peace be with you. In other words, chill out. Like, calm down. I've got some really important stuff to say. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know a closer translation would be, he breathed into them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Greek word used there is emphuseo. It's an incredibly rare Greek verb. It's only used once in the New Testament. It's used a handful of times in the trans, Greek translation of the Old Testament. You can probably guess which passages. Genesis 2, God breathing into humanity. Ezekiel 37, this prophecy, you know, breathing into this valley of dry bones. And in this moment, Jesus is breathing into his disciples. Like this is unbelievable what's going on. This is like a restoration of how things were meant to be. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel. I don't know if you've ever given mouth to mouth to someone. Not on a date. I'm talking about like CPR, like first day training. Um, if you've done that, you'll know the drill. You, you get to practice on a, on a dummy. You pinch the nose, you tilt the head back, you breathe in twice and then you pump the chest. Breathe a couple of times, pump the chest. What's happening in that moment is you're breathing your life, your breath, oxygen from your breath into their body so they're living off your breath until they're resuscitated. If my wife were here, she would say, Pete, there is zero chance of anything living off your breath. Like your morning breath is a disgrace. Like you're more likely to kill someone than bring them back to life. But, but that is a picture of what's going on here. Jesus breathes not just upon them, he breathes into them, emphuseo, and basically says the spirit that's animated my being, energised my ministry, I'm breathing that into your being so you are going to run off my breath, off my ruach, off my spirit. And what does that life look like? It looks like healing and liberation and transformation and restoration and redemption. When the spirit is at work, what happens, number one, he awakens us to the person of Jesus and we are introduced to the life of the Spirit. Number two, he forms us into the likeness of Jesus. 
and we're introduced to the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to these words, John chapter 14. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. I wanna unpack two words, another advocate. The Greek is alos parakletos. Let me nerd out for like just two minutes on the Greek, right? Alos parakletos. The word alos means another. In the Greek language, there are two words for another. Alos means another of the same kind. Hetros is another of a different kind. Now, I'm going to illustrate this with some Hershey's nuggets. Very small little snacks. That's a Hershey nugget. Um, Silver wrapping, observe. This is an Alos Hershey nugget, right? Another of the same kind. This gold wrapper, is an heteros, right, Hershey nugget. Who wants a heteros Hershey nugget? Anyone fancy it? Okay, right at the back. Now, just, I want you to know catches win matches. Um, so this, this is going right to you. Don't want any injuries. Let's see. Oh, I'm so sorry. That wasn't even close. Um, let's just... Let's just try again. I got faith for this. Um, this is the Alice one. I, I'm going to go right to the back. Yellow t-shirt. You ready? Catches win matches. Oh, that was my that was my fault. I've oh, but it was caught. Unbelievable work. Fantastic. <laughs> Round of applause. In fact, there's one more. Who wants this one? Okay, here we go. Third time lucky. Oh, disappointing as well. Anyway, point made. Jesus says, I'm going to give you an alos paracletos. I, I want you to embrace the massive paradigm shift that's happening for the first disciples, right? They're first century Jews. They are fierce monotheists. They believe in one God. And as they encounter the person of Jesus, they're trying to process what's happening because essentially they're encountering in Jesus that one God. And they wrestle to find language. In him, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. They remain monotheists, but they begin to articulate. We believe in one God revealed himself as father and now revealed himself as son. And then Jesus says, I'm going to send you an alos parakletos, one just like me. And when the spirit comes at Pentecost, they're like, oh my gosh. Like As we encounter the spirit, even though Jesus is bodily absent, he, he's present with us. This is like progressive revelation as they begin to wrestle with a, a theology of the Trinity. One God, Father, Son, Alos Parakletos, Holy Spirit. Let's unpack the second term, Parakletos. It's a compound word, two words shoved together to form a new word. Para, meaning beside. Kletos from the Greek verb kalio, meaning to call or invite. It literally means to invite alongside, to draw alongside. Anyone been to the Mediterranean, Greek island, coastline of Italy, somewhere like that? Okay, a handful of you have. Just imagine you head to the Mediterranean and you go on a, a boat ride. You've got a lovely bottle of wine with you. You're just chilling, enjoying the sea, enjoying the scenery. And then imagine you get stranded. The engine fails on the boat and you start to drift from shore and you begin to panic. Do you know what the Coast Guard will do? They'll send a boat 
to come and find you. That boat will draw alongside you, attach itself to you and take you back to harbour. Do you know what they call that boat in the Mediterranean? Tough crowd. It's a parakletos, right? (laughs) The boat literally draws alongside, attaches itself to you and leads you back to safety. Jesus says, I'm sending you an alos parakletos. Do you remember my ministry? This is what I've been doing. I've been coming alongside the most broken, the most hurting. I've been making a beeline, not for the healthy or those that think they're healthy, but for those that need a doctor, those that are drowning in despair and shame. I'm coming to draw alongside them, rescue them, redeem them and bring them to life, right? I'm ascending to the Father, but I'm gonna send you an alos parakletos. And this is what the Spirit's gonna do. He's going to search for you and find you where you're hurting. He's going to draw alongside and lead you to healing and to life and to liberation. Depending on your translation, this phrase, alos parakletos, in some translations it will say another advocate or another comforter or another counsellor. Let's just go with the the counselling language. If you've been for counselling, you'll know the drill You meet with your therapist, you spend three or four weeks talking about the presenting symptoms, what you're going through. And after three or four weeks of dealing with that stuff, the therapist hopefully breaks it to you gently, basically says something like, we've been talking about the presenting issues, but I need you to know it's way worse than you think, right? (laughs) Because that's just the presenting stuff. There are underlying symptoms and that's the stuff we really need to to deal with, right? And it's normally a father wound or a, a mother wound. And then he or she begins to ask questions to understand what's gone on. And often there'll be a breakthrough moment where they tap on the underlying issue, right? And when that happens, this is fairly normal in a counseling setting, tears begin to flow. Like when I went through therapy, there was a breakthrough moment. The tears began to flow. More than that, the snot began to flow. Like it's ugly crying, not dignified crying, ugly crying. One of my mentors in the charismatic tradition, he says, when the spirit flows, there'll often be tears, there'll often be snot. And this is his phrase, you need to let the snot drop. Like, right? The temptation when people are experiencing that moment is to grab the tissue. Oh, that's disgusting. Here's the tissue and, and to embrace them and to comfort them. And he's like, don't do that. Don't be the counsellor, the comforter in that moment. The Spirit's at work. Allow the Spirit to do the comforting. Like, let the tears flow, let the snot drop, right? Now, that would be normal in a counselling setting. It would be fairly normal in a counselling setting for people to shake a little bit as they engage with some trauma that's been trapped in the body. Do you know what's fairly normal in counselling is people to shout or to shriek. That's normal in counselling, Right? Why is it that in church settings, when the divine counsellor begins to move amongst the people, like we get a little bit sceptical skeptical about that kind of stuff, right? Like when the alos parakletos comes, wouldn't that stuff be normal? That tears begin to flow? That you should let the snot drop, right? That maybe some people will shake a little bit. Some people will screech. Like, if you've grown up in a conservative evangelical setting, and I have, by the way, when you step into a room when the Spirit's moving in power and people are shaking and crying, snot flying literally everywhere, and you can walk in and think, this can't be right, right? 
I know my scriptures, Corinthians. God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. This looks disordered, right? And you begin to panic. Genuinely, I'm not mocking. I've been there. Right. Can I give you two visions of order? The first one, a very earthly vision of order, that you walk into a room like this, right? And internally, like many of us, there's chaos within. There's prayers that haven't been answered and we feel disappointed. There's anxiety coursing through our veins. Some of us, there's despair, voices of darkness, right? And there, there's this internal chaos. But what we present to the room is, yeah, I'm doing great, thanks. <laughs> like living my best life. I, I'm just, I'm on such good form right now, right? And underneath, you're wrestling chaos, right? And externally, that might look like order. It's not order, it's control. From heaven's perspective, that is disorder, right? Can I give you a different vision? I believe this is heaven's vision of order is the spirit begins to move, right? This is Henri Nguyen's language. He says, when the love of the Father's poured in, love stirs up anything unlike itself for the purpose of healing. You know, this is what the Spirit does. The love of the Father is poured into our hearts by the Spirit, Romans 5, right? And when the love comes in, all the other stuff, it comes up, right? And what that looks like is pain and grief and anger and anxiety. It all begins to come up, right? And it might be a tremble. It might be a scream. It might be tears. It might be snot. But heaven is breaking in and there's a reordering. God is ordering the chaos and drawing people into peace. Like John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, he used to say this, he, he said it's neat and tidy in the graveyard, right? It's messy in the nursery. Like in the nursery, there are diapers everywhere, right? There are puddles that look like water. It's not water. Like th there's crayons, there's mess, but there is so much life, right? You can walk through a graveyard, neat, tidy, but there is no life. When the spirit moves in power, it might look like chaos, but heaven is doing a work of reordering. The alos parakletos is drawing alongside the hurting and leading them to healing and leading them to life. Number one, the Spirit awakens us to the person of Jesus. We're introduced to the abundant life of the Spirit. Number two, He forms us into the likeness of Jesus. The, the fruit of the Spirit begins to emerge. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. This stuff doesn't emerge through striving. Have you noticed that? Have you ever tried to grow the fruit through striving? Like, don't be anxious, be peaceful. Don't be stressed. Don't be, be peaceful. And, and you strive. Don't be anxious about that thing. Oh, no, I'm anxious about that thing. And the anxiety rises, right? Like a tree, be planted in Christ. Allow the water of the Spirit to drench you. The fruit will emerge. Trees don't strive for fruit. They don't think apples. Apples, <laughs> right? The water falls. The fruit emerges, like we've got to develop an openness to the Spirit. He'll form us into the likeness of Jesus. Number three, the Spirit wants to empower us to participate in the ministry of Christ. And we're drawn into the gifts of the Spirit. So this is a summary of the, the, the grand narrative of Scripture. Creation, 
decreation, which is created order that's unraveled through sin, and then recreation. Things are restored to how they were meant to be. This macro story is fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Incarnation, cross, resurrection. Like incarnation, another compound word. Two words shoved together to form a new word. In, meaning in. Carne, meaning flesh, in flesh. Chili con carne, chili in flesh. God con carne, God in human flesh. (laughs) Now this is legit. God enters the chaos. The word becomes flesh and, and makes his dwelling amongst us. He enters the pain, the disorder, the chaos to bring about order, to draw us into peace incarnation, cross, all the sin that led to created order, unraveling is loaded upon Jesus. He he dies so that our sins might be forgiven. He triumphs over sin, over death, over darkness, and he rises to new life, the firstborn of the new creation. Incarnation, cross, resurrection. This is how Jesus fulfills the grand narrative of scripture. And the thing we often forget to add is all this takes place by the Spirit. By the Spirit, right? Let's look at the incarnation. Luke chapter one, the angel basically says to Mary, this is what's gonna happen. She freaks out. How will this be? I'm a virgin. Like, say what? And the angel answered, here's how it's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Right? How, how does the incarnation take place? By the Spirit. The answer is always going to be by the Spirit, just if you want to engage. Um, <laughs> Hebrews 9, the cross. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God? How, how did Jesus offer himself at the cross? And the answer is always going to be by the Spirit. Yeah, by the Spirit. Resurrection, Romans 8. And if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The resurrection happens by? Right? The ministry of Jesus happens by the Spirit. Philippians 2, Paul says, he's quoting a hymn. Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be snatched grasped hold of, used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Greek word, kenosis, emptied himself, right? So essentially what's going on is is Jesus remaining fully God in terms of identity, but actually chooses not to operate with some of the characteristics that go with being God, right? These are called the immutable characteristics of God. Let me name three of them, right? Omnipresence, God is everywhere at the same time. He's here with us in San Francisco. He's meeting with his church right now in LA. Some of you are surprised by that. I think he's more in San Francisco, just to make that clear. Um, but, but he's everywhere meeting with his body. But Jesus embraced limitations of taking on human flesh. When he was in Jerusalem, it meant he wasn't in Galilee. What, what about omniscience? All-knowing? Well, the New Testament says that Jesus learned obedience. He went to school. He had to learn what obedience looked like. What about omnipotence, all-powerful? Well, for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, there are no recorded miracles. Zero recorded supernatural activity. Um, But you have this moment of anointing, like at baptism, 
right? Then he goes into the wilderness full of the Spirit. Then he returns from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Listen to these words, Luke 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news spread about him like wildfire. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He begins to quote Isaiah 61 because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. That's the moment. All the supernatural stuff kicks in when he's anointed by the Spirit. You know, the word Christ, Messiah, literally means anointed one. Do you know what the the word Christian means? In the anointed one. Every time we pray, come Holy Spirit, we receive the anointing of Jesus to do all the stuff that Jesus did. To preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, set captives free, all of the stuff of the kingdom. You see, it all takes place by the Spirit. The incarnation, the cross, the resurrection, the ministry of Jesus by the Spirit. Listen to these words, Luke chapter three. This is the baptism of Jesus. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. Now for those with eyes to see what's going on here, you've got the word of God, you've got the spirit of God and you've got the waters, right? Now, in the Hebrew imagination, they know their scriptures inside out. Suddenly, Genesis chapter 1 is in mind, right? Listen, listen to the words of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, right? Why does Luke add a bit of detail that the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove? Why a dove? Is there any significance to that? Why not a robin? I love robins. Such beautiful birds. That would tie in Christmas cards if it was a robin. Like, why would it be a dove? Let me explain the significance. So the Jewish people, they end up in exile in Babylon for 70 years. They go into exile, speaking their own language, the Hebrew language. After 70 years in Babylon, um, they return. But by this point, they've learned the language of the Babylonians. They speak Aramaic. And the Jewish religious leaders basically say, we need to translate the Hebrew scriptures. We need to to allow the next generation to understand the story of God's faithfulness. And they all speak Aramaic. We need to translate the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures into Aramaic. So they do that. The translation is known as the Targum. And the Targum is basically... A summary of the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, certain parts are condensed, certain parts are, are expanded. And in the Genesis account, in the Aramaic translation in the Targum, it basically says the same thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And it adds one little bit of detail. You ready for it? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters like a dove. Right? So when people witness this scene, as we read about it later, you're like, hang on a minute. You've got the word of God. You've got the waters. 
and you've got the Spirit hovering over the waters like a dove. This is the translation that would have been most familiar to Jesus and his contemporaries. Like they know what's going on. Like this is a a repeat of the scene of, of Genesis. This is how created order came into being. Like Jesus is restoring created order. He's leading us to recreation, the restoration of how things were meant to be. The point is that Jesus is being anointed by the Spirit for a ministry of recreation. You know that the Spirit's here right now, don't you? Moving in this room, like descending upon us. He wants to anoint us to participate in the ministry of Jesus and it's a ministry of recreation. Listen to these words, John 14. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, Some translations, truly, truly, I tell you. When Jesus says truly, truly, he's like, this is actually quite important listening, guys. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, when Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to the Father, but you're going to continue my ministry and I want you to do all the stuff. Not some of the stuff, all the stuff that I've been doing. You can imagine some anxiety in the disciples, like, Like, we've seen you feed 5,000 with a lunch that we stole. Like, we don't back ourselves to repeat that one. Like, we've seen you walk into the tomb of Lazarus and tell him to get up. Like, we've seen you walk on water. Like, we're just not sure. I mean, we're good on our best days. I'm just not sure we can be that good, right? Now, you need to know when Jesus says you're going to do all these things, you're going to do even greater things He says that in the context of the farewell discourses of John's gospel. And the farewell discourses are about Jesus ascending to the Father and saying, I'm going to give you an alos parakletos. You can't do it in your own strength. Don't even bother trying. You'll humiliate yourself. But when the Spirit comes upon you, you're going to do all of this stuff. In fact, you're going to do even greater things. Now, the greater things aren't quality of miracles. This isn't Jesus saying, look, I turned water into like, you know, average wine. You're going to turn it into Chateau Neuf de Pape. Like this isn't that. This is Jesus saying, look, my ministry was geographically bound. Like it, was a, it was a fairly small region. It was kind of like Galilee and then moving towards Jerusalem, right? And then I was trying to raise up 12 and then sending out 72. But like when the Spirit comes, like the Spirit's going to anoint you and you'll start in Jerusalem, but you'll go to Judea and you'll go to Samaria and you'll go to the ends of the earth doing not some of the stuff, all the stuff that I've been doing. Healing the sick, casting out demons, proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. You know the Spirit's here right now saying, I I want you to be fully involved in this ministry in the context of San Francisco. Let me close with this passage, 1 Corinthians 12. As we read this passage, I want you to have in the back of your mind how the gospel narratives describe Jesus, that he's described as a healer, a teacher, a prophet, a miracle worker, a man of wisdom. And the disciples are wrestling with, like, if Jesus was doing all of that stuff and he said that we're going to continue his ministry and we're going to do even greater things, like, how are we going to do it? And in the context of John 14, like Jesus says, the Alice Paracletos is going to come upon you. And Paul is now building on that. Like when we get sent out, this is how it's going to roll. 
He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Right? Can, can you see the link? Hopefully you'll see this on the slide as we compare the two. Jesus is described as a prophet, healer, rabbi, miracle worker, man of faith. And he says to the disciples, you're going to fully engage in all of this stuff, right? But you can't do it in your own strength. So I'm going to give you some gifts. Like if if you want to participate in my ministry as as a prophet, I think prophecy is going to help you, right? You should eagerly desire all of these gifts, but you should really desire the gift of prophecy, right? If you're going to continue my ministry as a healer, you're going to need gifts of healing. As a rabbi, you're going to need gifts of wisdom and teaching. As a miracle worker, the gifts of miracles. As a man of faith, gifts of faith. It makes zero sense to me. The streams within the church that want to participate in the ministry of Jesus, but dismiss all the gifts. Right? Like that was for, you know, the apostolic age. It was like a power surge to get the ball rolling. We don't need any of that stuff. Now that we have the closed canon of Scripture, we've got everything we need, we don't need the gifts of the Spirit. Like, how are we going to participate in the full ministry of Jesus without these gifts that are of the Spirit, that are for the whole church, the whole body, and when the Spirit moves in power, He distributes the gifts, right? This is how the Spirit moves amongst us. The Spirit is here right now. What does the Spirit want to do? He wants to awaken us to the person of Christ. Where there is sleepiness, where we've been worshipping idols and we've lost the breath, like spiritually expiring, the Spirit wants to come and awaken us to be fully alive. The Spirit wants to form us into the likeness of Jesus, the Alos Paracletos. Where you're hurting, you don't need to fake it. Why would you fake it amongst family? Right, the Spirit is here. He wants to come alongside and lead you to healing and restoration. He wants to distribute gifts because he wants to, to pour out a spirit on the city of San Francisco. He wants outbreaks of the kingdom. And for that, you're going to need the gifts of the Spirit. He's here for all of that. And we should be open to all of that. Amen. Why don't we stand?